Hello everyone and welcome to a bumper, final, extra special World Cup podcast of ideas. Uh, I'm again Adam Rawcliffe, joined by my colleagues Jeff Kidder, Alistair Donald, Rob Lyons and Jacob Reynolds. Uh, last night France were crowned World Cup champions 2018, uh, making the French's second uh, World Cup title and first on foreign soil. They beat Croatia 4-2 in an action-packed final. Uh, perhaps dogged by a controversy over a penalty awarded for uh, for handball against Ivan Perisic. Uh, so, guys, do you think France were worthy winners of the tournament and of the final? Rob, kick us off. Um, I think that they were amongst the teams that would have been worthy winners, definitely. Um, they certainly have a very talented group of players. They won all their knockout matches. They started slowly. They were perhaps a little bit fortunate to beat Australia. Um, they had a very, very dull draw against Denmark, the first goalless draw of the tournament. But right through the team, there's there's a high quality uh, and certainly they, yeah, I think they were worthy winners. Uh, and Croatia were perhaps a little bit unlucky yesterday. They've been brilliant and dogged uh, team throughout. But yes, I think France on, on balance, definitely. Yeah, so I, I'm i a bit less uh, convinced than Rob that, that France were worthy winners. I thought they were fairly appalling in the first half last night. I mean, I agree uh, that they've got a collection of really good uh, individuals in that team. And I think the, the defence right throughout the tournament has been probably the best defence. Uh, Canty in the middle is, is, is a superlative player. And as we said in the pod, one of the podcasts before, it's like having an extra man on the park with him. Um, and up front, Mbappe and Griezmann are good players, but I just think collectively, as a team, um, they've left something to be desired right the way through through throughout the tournament. And you know, have, it's, uh, watching it in the pub last night with uh, probably ninety percent uh, French people in the pub, lustily bellowing out the anthem at the start, they were very quiet after ten minutes, and and I, I think rightly so because uh, once again Pogba was uh, uh, put in the case that he's the most overrated player in the world and they just uh, to me didn't look convincing at all and I thought uh, Croatia actually did look very good for the first half yeah I mean like Croatia were unlucky not just with the penalty decision which I think everybody probably agrees oughtn't have been a penalty but also the initial free kick from which the first own goal came right that was that was like a clear dive with somebody already Hot, like 45 degrees before the Croatia player touched him. So you can make a good case that like neither of their first two goals should have ever happened. And uh, as Croatia have been playing in the first half, it could have could have gone into half-time a totally different game. It's always what-ifs and maybes, but I think uh, Croatia will feel extremely hard done by. Yeah, well, France obviously did have luck in that match. Often you make your own luck. And in that instance, Griezmann did it by cheating. So that was unfortunate. Although overall through the tournament... Although I don't really care, you know, I don't really care who won yesterday. France have been a consistently solid team throughout the tournament, both in defence, where uh, which is often undermentioned, uh, probably not mentioned enough, but their defence is good. Plus, they've got their midfielders and their forwards performed in, in many cases better for their national team than they did for their midfield team, 
as was very presciently predicted by uh, Declan Rooney before before the tournament itself. So probably overall they deserve to win uh, win as much as anybody. As an English fan, it's disappointing because when you see Brazil, Germany, Italy not being there, especially the top footballing nations go out, to see them all cheering on the Champs-Élysées last night, it isn't great. I mean, going back home through South London last night, you could hear a pin drop and you can see why. So uh, overall, but I mean, good luck that they were probably the, the best team of the tournament. Yeah, I think this I think this was very expected, though, going in. I think for the French, anything other than a tournament win would have been a disappointment, as you see from their Euros result in 2016. So I don't think this is any great surprise. I think if you lined up all the squads together on paper before the tournament, you would have said that the French were leaps and bounds ahead of most, if, if all other teams. Uh, so I don't think they really had to... Uh, put it all together really at any point they didn't have to come out and play electrifying football as a team because it's quite simply had the best players someone said in the coverage uh, last night that favourites win World Cup finals and that's just what happened the favourites won Uh, but also I I think it's hard to say that they weren't worthy winners you look at the teams that they've beaten in the knockouts uh, beat Argentina beat Uruguay beat Belgium uh, much better than uh, what the teams which any of the other semi-finalists face on their run up to it they were only behind to Argentina in the whole tournament and that was for about 5-10 minutes I think uh, and uh, in many ways I think they were they were very similar to how the tournament itself played out very defensive very set piece based uh, tournament uh and France as a dogged defensive team who sort of stole goals and took their chances when they came were sort of uh, emblematic of that sort of tournament. Uh, big incident last night uh, was the penalty. Went to VAR uh, after a rather uh, lengthy review process. Uh, Perisic seemed seemingly unable to get his hand out his hand out of the way of the ball uh, with a French player, Matuidi, just inches in front of him. Guys, do you think it was a penalty? And perhaps, more importantly, do you think it changed the course of the game, Jacob? Well, I, I don't understand how anybody could have awarded it as a penalty. But and more importantly, as has been mentioned quite a lot in the coverage, it's like, if we're going to introduce VAR and we say that VAR is for overturning really clear and obvious decisions, then... There's no world in which that was a, a clear and obvious error on the referee's part for not spotting it initially. I, as 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 a rugby fan, I've got like a lot of tolerance for going to the video ref, and so I'm if I'm quite happy if we were to say, look, we're just going to look for everything on the video ref. But we introduced VAR with specific bounds, given all the concerns that people have had for it, and I think it wasn't just a bad call; it was a really bad use of the new technology for the game. Well, I, I mean, to be honest, it was the initial free kick for the first goal that changed it when Griezmann dived or he thought he was, was going to make contact with him and they didn't, which made him look stupid. So that, that made the difference and then they scored the first goal. That changed because Croatia were on the front foot, then they were on the back foot. Uh, whilst I have some sympathy that it, wasn't, that it was a very harsh penalty, they do give them like that these days. More to, to me, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been given, or 15 years ago, that wouldn't have been normally given as a penalty. I keep thinking back to the World Cup in France where... I think it was a World Cup in France where a referee was sent home for giving a penalty in that kind of situation where it was ball to hand. Whereas now, um, 
is often given. And in fact, if the referee hadn't given it, he'd probably have got a lot of stick for not giving it as well in, in this day and age. So those things have changed, even though they might not have done so. I was a bit more sanguine about uh, the penalty decision. Uh, maybe it shouldn't have been a penalty, but I wasn't surprised that it was given. Well, on the, on the basis that VAR is introduced seemingly to eradicate the controversial decisions in, in, in football, then it just simply didn't do that as far as I can, I'm concerned. Um, in, I can't see how it was ever a penalty um, because it didn't uh, seem in any way deliberate. And there's just a lack of consistency as well. I mean, what, if, if you want to go down that route of using VAR, then why not use it to uh, pull the free, uh, to overturn the decision on the free kick? Or there was another handball, actually, um, uh, after the, the initial penalty was given, which again uh, seemed a more obvious handball to me, but uh, VAR didn't come into that. So it, it just doesn't seem to be used in any consistent way. I mean, I suppose there's uh, ultimately there seems to be two different opinions on, on VAR. One is that it's fine, but it just needs to be uh, used more consistently and better. And the other one, uh, which there's perhaps less support for, because people, sort of, people are portrayed as a bit sort of Luddite if they uh, believe it, but is to just get rid of VAR altogether. And I'm kind of for the latter, actually. I just think that it doesn't add anything to the game. Uh, in fact, it, it actually undermines the game in, in, in many ways. I think football's a reasonably simple game. Um, and it complicates it more than is necessary. I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily against things like um, goal line technology, where all it's got to do is to see if the ball crossed the line. But VAR, you cannot take the controversy out of decisions because, as as I was showed last night, there's still interpretation even although you're watching the screen. I disagree with Alistair about that. I think in general VAR's probably been quite a good thing. I think it's, um, I think a few decisions that should have been given that weren't, were overturned. I think that that was fair enough. I think there are some points of fine-tuning, though. You see the referee last night watching a slow-mo action replay time and time and time again, and under the influence of the fact that he's being called over, and therefore somebody in the the VIR suite in uh, in Moscow thinks that there, there there is something to be turned over, and there's an awful lot of pressure on him to, to do that. And if you watch that, the slow-mo over and over and over again, you do end up thinking that Perisic moved his hand towards the ball. So I think it would have been better at least maybe to have seen it from a few camera angles in normal speed and with a bit more of the context of the cross beforehand so you could see just how close the defender was in front of Perisic. It's definitely the case on the VAR. If VAR hadn't existed as in any previous World Cup and that would have been the end of it. Anyway. Yeah, I've got some sympathy for... Rob's point as well. Uh, I think this was less about VAR, it's more about the specific handball rules, which are some of the most subjective subjective ones in the whole game. So it's, uh, handball's got to be two things. It's got The hand has to be in an unnatural position, which is obviously incredibly subjective because anything beyond your hand being unatta- unattached from your arm is could be considered a natural position. And it's also, there's got to be intent and without getting inside a player's mind, we don't always know what intent is. Uh, so I think it was down to a bad refereeing decision, and not necessarily VAR. We can say that maybe the referee wouldn't have made that bad decision if he hadn't had the chance to review it, which is arguable. But yeah, at the end of the day, I also can see why the referee gave it. I think it's harsh because it's in a World Cup final, which also comes down to the subjective nature of the rules in that 
good referees don't see the the game as being a white and black. This these are the decisions. There's always a right or a wrong decision. It's about making appropriate decisions for the context. So a lot of people would say because it's a World Cup final, because so much is at stake, uh, you go uh, with the less the decision which is going to have less impact on the game. But at the end of the day, Croatia still had a whole second half. What kind of probably ruined them was a very bad 10 minutes in the second half where they conceded two goals and went four, one down, not going into the break, one goal down. Alistair. Yeah, I mean, it has to be said that if Croatia had picked a fit goalkeeper, then uh, they would have been in a lot better position because as far as I can see, he didn't uh, cover himself in glory in any of the four goals. Uh, in fact, he didn't even seem to really attempt to get at three of them. So he, to me, he he fairly pl- plainly uh, wasn't as fit as, as, as he needed to be. Yeah, uh, so moving on, um, Luka Modric uh, was awarded player of the tournament at the end of the final. Uh, Fourth out of the last five tournaments where a losing finalist has won the player of the tournament. And you kind of uh, saw Modric's face when he was being uh, uh, snapped next to Mbappe. Didn't look that happy. But we said on the podcast last week that it was kind of hard to pick out a player of the tournament. Would you guys have given it to Modric or would you given it to someone else? I I think that is... it's a sort of nebulous sort of term, and I don't quite know on which terms they award it. But um, I mean, in terms of the most influential in lots of games and the ability to control games, he's been outstanding. But something that was said on the podcast last week about a star player who's really lit up the tournament, who's made everybody excited um, whenever they're on the ball, and I think that was obviously Mbappe. Not, and I don't know. As I say, that might not be the sort of qualification for player of the tournament, but he's the only person we've seen at this World Cup, really, especially since uh, Ronaldo and Messi went out. That as soon as the ball was anywhere near him, everybody was suddenly excited because he could make things happen. Yeah, first teenager since Pele to score in a World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Alistair, yeah, I, I thought that Modric was as good a player as any in in the tournament, and probably uh, influential, albeit in a half of the draw where. Um, the, you know the, the 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 sides that Croatia were playing were not quite as of higher quality as what France had to get past in the other half of the draw. But to me, um, yeah, he, yeah, I think he deserved it. Yeah, all those things are subjective. I mean, the Golden Boot is is good because it's like he, somebody scored six goals, somebody scored four goals, and okay, they say, oh, Harry Kane scored penalties, but it doesn't matter. They're goals, and that's clear. The other things, it's like you know, judgment and subjective, which is fine. But then people will agree to disagree on whether it should have been Mbappe who got the young player tournament, or Modric who's as good as anybody, or or somebody else who got you know Lukaku or somebody got knocked out earlier who made a tremendous impact for a time. So there are a number of good players. You're going to give it to somebody. Modric would be as good as anybody in my book. So on the Golden Boot, this is actually the first World Cup ever where own goal finished as the top scorer, so there's more own goals than any individual player scored. Uh, Rob, any more shouts for player of the tournament, or are we unanimously saying Modric deserved it? I would say that in terms of driving a team forward, being involved, showing determination, uh, actually I would have given it to Aiden Hazard. Um, I think he was really, really good. I think he was also somebody that whenever he got on the ball, you thought things were going to happen. He scored. I just think he was the he was the thing that made Belgium tick. I think it was very unfortunate that Belgium weren't in the final. And uh, yeah, again, 
another topic we've come back to in terms of uh, decisions by coaches. Martinez got his wrong in the starting lineup, and um, France were able to hold on and were very, very defensive um, against Belgium. And I think that that was credit to Hazard's ability to, to, to change things. I would I probably would have given it to him by an edge from Modric, but Modric was clearly uh, as, go- as good a winner as anybody else, as this discussion uh, confirms. The, the only thing I would have loved was maybe if it had gone to Varane going to a centre-back. These awards never go to defenders. They're always for attacking <laughs> players, so... Would have been kind of nice to kind of book that trend, but oh well. I mean, Modric was a worthy winner. So it seems like kind of a lifetime ago now that England were knocked out, losing to a last-minute goal against Croatia in the semi-final. Uh, there's been big post-mortem in the media about what went wrong. Uh, but you guys, what what do you think was Eng- England's flaw? Why couldn't they uh, get over the hump, beat Croatia and take part in the final, Jeff? Well, they weren't good enough. Uh, I mean, that's the bottom line. And when you look back on it, they did what... Uh, people say, oh, well, you know, they're only playing Panama or something. They, you play who you're up against and you beat who you're up against. And they did well to hold their nerve and get through to the semi-final. But when you look back at the four teams in the semi-final, they were obviously the most inexperienced, which, which isn't their fault at all, and they did very well to cohere themselves as a unit to get to the semi-final. But they also were not as good, you have to say, at the end of the day, as the other three teams who were in the, who were in the semi-final. And it might be fine margins, but that's the case. So, uh, to me, that was, the, that was the thing. The thing, strikingly, yesterday, I mean, hopefully, Gareth Southgate talks in a way, that, a, a kind of language, which uh, 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 is not one that I really follow. It's always about the group and developing the group and this kind of verbiage, which isn't how most people speak and hopefully he can carry and take the team forward but I did have this fear yesterday when he was back and saying how wonderful it was to work with his group and they're just developing and we're taking forward and he's talking this kind of therapeutic language you suddenly wonder what whether he sort of turned back into bagpuss if anybody of a younger generation knows what that means uh, and or, or, or whether really he has got a dynamic with the squad and he has can take them forward I mean, you hope he can take them forward, but you're sort of worried that it was this great one-off experience and it might not be repeated, but uh, hopefully that's not the case and time will tell. Yeah, I mean, d- directly on that, what, one of the parallels here is you, you're talking about the way in which uh, Southgate and all the team are talking about togetherness and being a group and all these sort of slightly awkward words. They're the words that you hear when a coach has to do something with not very much. Right, they're the words that you do when you're being able to play together as a group is the only thing that you've really got going for you. We don't necessarily have a lot of star players. We really desperately miss a controlling midfield player. Um, and I think one of the reasons why you start hearing this language from Southgate is a recognition that there's got to be something that sets us apart because it's not going to be any particular star player we have. And so in that context, you can really start doing things if people believe in each other as a team. And that could be the sort of defining and maybe slightly edging factor for England. At the end, that could only get you so far. And so we went out in the semi-finals. We weren't as good as any of the other semi-finalists. But I'll sort of stick up a little bit for uh, Southgate's use of that terminology because it indicates he's thinking about what can he give to the team when there's a sort of absence of like genuine star quality yeah uh, I think that's fair enough uh, something else to ponder was this England's best ever chance to reach the final uh, will uh, do chances like this come about uh, very often 
uh, Rob. We've talked before about the, the ease of that draw, that side of the draw, and that that was a pretty good run where they didn't really play any top-class teams until you know, the semi-final, that, in a game that mattered at least. So that that you know that's an opportunity that and and they're, they're disappointed as a result of it. Um, I I mean I think that they yeah they they definitely weren't player for player as good as France or even Croatia. There are, as Jeff said, fine margins. You know they did come off the pitch at half time against Croatia, unlucky not to be two or three nil up. You know even in the third place playoff when they actually started to play in the second half, very unfortunate not to equalise through Eric Dyer. So. The, 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 there are these moments. I mean, there are weaknesses. Unfortunately, I mean, and, and I know this splits a lot of people. I'm not a fan of Raheem Sterling, despite all the stuff about him creating space and making runs and whatever. A forward has to produce some goals or provide assists or something, and I don't think he does that. And if we could find somebody with that kind of pace who can actually finish off a few chances or has enough decision making now to make the right decision. pass the ball at the right time I think would be a lot stronger team Um, and yeah you could kind of say that quite right the team but on the other hand we had a few people came through Pickford Maguire Trippier uh, all um, exceeded expectations I think and if if there is criticism uh, you know it shouldn't just be shared by the players I think it should be shared by Southgate as well because for all the sort of lauding of him for actually getting the team through to the semi-final well done to him what was striking was that in at least two of the matches, there was a tactical inflexibility to not read the game and deal with the situations that were developing. Happened against Colombia, where we were under the cosh towards the end of normal time and in the first half of extra time. And again, it happened against Croatia, where the midfield was getting overrun and he didn't do anything about it. And he he needed to, to, to decide not to keep two strikers off or do something different, but didn't actually change anything until a few minutes after Croatia scored. And I think that, that, that developing that now um, will be very, very important for Southgate to have success in the future. So not just an inexperienced team, but an inexperienced manager as well. So there are things to learn, but still hopeful for the future. This is definitely you know, a step change in terms of our performance in the World Cup. And therefore, you know, we should hope to build on it. Uh, interesting start. Second fewest shots on target from open play in the whole tournament. Uh, except uh, Iran being the team with the, the least, uh, which I think is evident at one. Because uh, not that England didn't get into attacking positions, I think it's evident of people like Jesse Lingard and Raheem Sterling not being able to create those sort of ch- uh, half chances into proper chances with shots on target. Uh, Alistair? Yeah, uh, I agree with a lot of what Rob said, actually. Uh, it was interesting after the, uh, the Belgium game, the other third-place playoff, uh, game. One of the critics that I was reading a report from uh, said, um, "This is England's third defeat, and they've never lost more in a World Cup uh, ever." Which I just thought was kind of chucking the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. I mean, it just seemed a bit over the top, and I think a little bit of perspective uh, is is probably quite important because I think you know, from an England point of view, you'd probably say that there were quite a lot of positives. They were a young team. 
Um, there was some, as Rob said, some good players uh, that have appeared. Stones seems a better player than I ever thought he was. I thought Maguire was good. Trippier, uh, according to a table I saw yesterday, created twice as many chances as Coutinho, which is a rather startling uh, statistic. So he had a good tournament, and I thought Henderson played quite well as well in in in, in the middle of the park. I suppose. One, I think, in a way, I think the thing that worked really well for England, which was the that Southgate was quite thoughtful about what system he'd play and and uh, really developed uh, something that suited the uh, suited the players and there uh, allowed them to realise to some extent their potential. Actually, at the end of the day, uh, as Rob said, the rigidity to that system probably undermined them a little bit because they were a little bit un- inflexible. And I think, um, especially against Croatia, that really told that they didn't uh, adapt their game in the second half. I think there were a couple of downsides. To me, uh, I-, I thought that Deli Ali was a real disappointment. In a way, because uh, the expectation on him before the tournament, I thought, was quite high. To me, he's looked a a good player over the last couple of years, Uh, particularly, I think, because he seems to have a bit of devilment in him and he doesn't seem scared to put his foot in a little bit. There's a bit of spite in there. It sort of reminds me of a young Steven Gerrard. And I thought England slightly missed that, actually, just someone who could could put their foot in a little bit. So I thought he was a little bit disappointing. But overall, you know, I I think you'd probably have to say that that was quite a good tournament for for England, albeit uh, that that did look a very good chance to get to a final with that half of the draw. That's good. And when you mentioned Stephen, whatever you say, England got to the semi-final and were fourth, which is the best they've done for 28 years, Mm -hmm. which is, again, the best since... That was the best, 1990 since 1966. And when you look at some of the players in the meantime, like Stephen Gerrard and Wayne Rooney and other people, who were very good players, in many ways better as individuals than maybe the people in the team, and they never got... Close. I mean, they, they apart from Euro '96, which was again a bit before that, England had never got near where they got this time. So you have to give them great credit for that. We shouldn't forget that or play it down. And a third and fourth playoff, I have happy to admit that I didn't watch it and was I mean, what a ridiculous game it is. I mean, I, what's, what's the point of it? And mm. uh, uh, it's no interest to me. It maybe interest to other people but there we go they've got got no interest in a third fourth place playoff um on on this point about slight rigidity i mean like a, a strong system is what you play when you've got r- relatively inexperienced players and you can sort of compensate for on pitch experience by giving them a strong structure to work with and maybe southgate has to take the the flak for not being able to change it but ultimately i'm not sure what else you could have done with a sort of relatively inexperienced squad who you couldn't necessarily trust to understand how a game's evolving and how they might need to change and other disappointment i mean harry kane started well but what what happened to harry kane in our last couple of matches other than occasionally managing to draw some players around him but I'd, i i mean he just totally faded as in my opinion as that tournament went on i was unimpressed by the end of the tournament about kane yeah on the change in the system i think also something uh, highlights both uh southgates like uh, inept, well, not ineptitude, but inability to maybe challenge some of the bigger names. I think Kane should probably have come off against Croatia and should have maybe uh, given Vardy a chance uh, in that central number nine role, just because Kane wasn't holding the ball up and wasn't making chances. I think uh, speaks to some of Kane's deficiencies, albeit a world-class goal scorer. 
uh, when he gets a chance. He doesn't get, in the England team, they don't make the chances for him like they do in the Tottenham team. So maybe sometimes you need to think about freshening it up and bringing someone else on. Uh, but I also just think it highlights a bit of the lack of depth in the England squad. There, ne- there wasn't this, the option to take off Henderson and put in another ball-playing centre-mid or even bring someone on to sort of help him out in that role. All the other centre-mids in the squad were either Eric Dyer, who I just don't really rate uh, at all, uh, or more attacking-minded midfielders like Jesse Lingard, like Loftus-Cheek, like Deli Alli. And then I think that's an area where England really need to look to bring some people on in their time before the Euros. But lots of competitive football up ahead for England. UEFA Nations League kicks off uh, uh, after the World Cup. Uh, and then obviously Does anybody the understand what that is? Uh, it's, some, it's basically to make friendlies seem more appealing. Obviously, the moaning at the moaning at the international break is something which isn't just unique to English fans, it's something unique to all European fans. So a way of trying to get more people to watch international football, basically it's a tiered system uh, of, of groups. The winners of those groups go on to play like a playoff in the summer, uh, and then there'll be a winner. England are in the top group, Scotland I think are in the third group, and if you win the playoff of the third group, you get promoted to the second group. So pie in the sky, quite confusing idea. See how it works, but at least it's competitive football. So assessing the tournament more broadly, I think most people uh, sang the praises of the tournament at the end, said it was a tournament with brilliant, exciting football. Russia did a great job of hosting. Uh, that seems to be the unanimous, the unanimous opinion. I wonder if you guys had any other thoughts. To me, wasn't the most brilliant tournament for the footballing purist. There's a lot of excitement in big teams losing and upsets. Uh, but to me, a lot of the games were quite turgid for the most part. Set-piece goals with um, long area, uh, long periods of quite boring play. I don't think I'm going to remember it as one of the greatest World Cups of my lifetime. Uh, but what do you guys think? Okay, well, the greatest World Cup of my lifetime was 1970 and still is. And it's a strange thing because... The fi- I remember watching the final in 1970, Brazil Italy, which is like fantastic. They put the best team, the Brazil team, best team I've ever seen, and thinking that was just normal. And then watching the final in 1974, with Cruyff and Muller and Germany Holland being played on a mud pitch, and it was like people playing in a park in comparison. And so the, there is a standard to set. I thought overall it was pretty good. It was entertaining throughout, partly helped by England being there to give it a reason to follow it to the end. Because I thought overall it was something to remember. Probably one of the most satisfying things is all the people that said at the beginning, should Russia shouldn't have it, it shouldn't go, England should, should, should either not play or should protest, it's all going to be a disaster, all the fans are going to get beaten up, all this kind of stuff. It went on and on and on for, for months and months. And all those people have completely shut up. And the result was that it was a successful tournament. People really enjoyed it. The fans who went had a great time. More fans wished they'd gone and hadn't listened to the naysayers. So all that, to, to me, is, uh, you know, is, 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 is really uh, positive for football and bringing people together. 
Um, I, I I agree with a lot of what Jeff just said there. I think I don't think it was a bad tournament. Um, uh, I think actually people remember great games rather than great tournaments. Ultimately, um, there were some great games like um, Belgium against Japan, and you know there were exciting games as well in the sense that they were tense um, rather than because there was brilliant flowing football. And it did end on a much better final than we've seen for a very long time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't remember as good a final as that for since '86, really, uh, when um, Argentina and played West Germany, um, and so you got to say, well, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, um, and in terms of you know what happened, I mean, I just think it's. I'm going to now go espouse my theories of history as is illustrated through association football, which is you've got your kind of resources materialism version of history. Well. The best resource team probably won, but you know, lots of other very good, very big, successful, experienced teams didn't, so that doesn't determine anything. The, br- the brilliant individual theory of history, which is you know one person changes everything, like Maradona did in 86. Well, that wasn't on show here this time, although there were some brilliant inter- individual contributions. And a little bit of the kind of luck or chaos theory of history. Yeah, there were plenty of times when France could have gone out um, but they didn't. Uh, th- things turned in their favour. Belgium, I think, were unlucky um, at, at various points. Croatia were look- unlucky in the final. So there's so many the interesting ways in which you can explore this, like what might have been if th- if things had been different. That um, I still think there was lots of interest there, and um, I, so overall, I really enjoyed watching a, a month of football, and a lot of it was very good. I take Adam's point that some of it wasn't the world's most exciting ever football, but it provided drama and there was enough upsets that made everybody interested. Um, I, th- I think you, you'll always support your team, right? But to get interested in some of the lesser games where Germany are expected to be whatever country, to make that exciting for the rest of us, aside from just like wanting to see some good players play, you'd like to see some upsets and that made it exciting for me um and so i i I'd, i had a great time watching the world cup it's provided enough excitement and yeah great final that we haven't seen in a long time um well some of the criticisms that you made adam of of this year's world cup i thought applied to 2010 and 2014 mm. to be quite honest i i didn't think they were great tournaments and i thought this one was slightly better um, it and had uh, more interesting matches sustained over a longer period of time. Thought some cracking matches. I thought the first half of the Brazil, uh, Belgium game was as good a football match as seen for quite a number of years. Um, so overall, I, I I thought it was it was just quite a good tournament that culminated obviously in, in quite an exciting uh, final. Just on the kind of how we, we remember it. I mean, I I think the 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 point that uh, Jeff made earlier about um the kind of anti-Russian stuff, I think, has, has been really interesting. And I think it was notable uh, how few uh, supporters from the Western European teams seemed to have made their way to Russia. It was almost like that panic about Russia had gripped people, and there were far more South Americans or Asians or Australians, which um, I think helped brighten up and, and, and make the tournament. So it was a bit disappointing that people... Uh, felt uh, they didn't want to, tr- to travel out there on the basis of potentially what might happen to them. I thought it was interesting, the Pussy Riot uh, invasion of the pitch last night. Uh, there's an article in the New Yorker this morning uh, which says uh, which says the moral clarity of the Pussy Riot moment last night. And it was almost like um, people have been waiting a month 
to be able to criticise Russia. And it's not really been possible because it has been a good tournament conducted in a good spirit. But that seemed to uh, give the vulture something to hang on to last night and, and a reason to, 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 to criticise Russia. On the domestic stuff, I just think it's been dismaying the amount of people that have attempted to politicise uh, football over the last month and I think uh, you know it's difficult to, it's actually been quite interesting in that people uh, seem almost uh, to uh, not not to, to know which way to go with the politicization at some point so we've been told that uh, uh, in in the, the because Gareth Southgate, Southgate had said you know this is modern England this is the diverse multicultural team then some people wanted to pursue that line other people uh, as has come out a lot around the stuff about um, football fans and domestic violence over the last few days. Uh, other people have wanted to pursue the line that football fans are all horrible and, and kind of white trash. So uh, I think, you know, uh, for all those that want to politicise it in that way, I, I think back off because ultimately it's just been an enjoyable tournament to go out and watch the match and have a few beers and, and um, you know, just generally enjoy the tournament. One thing on the statesman, not the pussy riot, but Putin, who I'm no fan of, was there wearing a suit looking like a, a leader does of a country. And that's considered sort of slightly sinister that he's there and dressed like that. Whereas Macron's dancing around like an adolescent teenager who's uh, just seen his first football match or something. It was understandable because they've won, but it was all a bit ridiculously over the top. And that's considered, that's how you behave these days. If you're a world leader, you dance around and shout sing and whatever in a way that would have been considered utterly disgraceful 30 years ago I mean there is a real contrast and obviously a Croatian leader wears the, wears the football shirt which is her thing but you can see why she's done that but a contrast between Putin and Putin doing what leaders used to do which is look stoic and whatever whereas Macron just d dancing around and all these pictures of him you know on the shelf or whatever looking like it's a beauty player with his arms in the air you know that's the image that they want to get out of a of a of a of a president these days it's a sign of the times really yeah if you want to see something cringy uh, look at emmanuel macron doing a dab with benjamin mendy in the france dressing room after the win uh just embarrassing and the fact that he's like about four inches smaller than Mendy makes him sort of like a child uh, quite funny well uh, that's the end of uh, football for this summer luckily if you're a football fan the Premier League is back in three weeks so you don't have long to wait uh, and that's the end also of this special series of World Cup podcasts of ideas. Uh, you can catch all of the World Cup podcasts and all our other podcasts on our website at www.academyofideas.org.uk uh, and you can also subscribe on iTunes. Mm -hmm.